millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm your host Amy Stevenson, and today I'm talking to Cassie Morris, the owner of Hamilton Stud. She's the UK breeder of the Rocky Mountain Horse, and we're going to find out all about it. I just thought they were amazing, and everything I read up on them, thought, wow, this can't be real. This really can't. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to another episode of Horse Hour. Today I'd like to introduce you to Cassie Morris. Now she is a very, very busy lady. She runs three businesses, has trained over in America and is bringing all her expertise to us in the UK. So I couldn't wait to chat to her. Cassie, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you, Amy. How are you? I'm really, really good, thank you. So let's just let's just uh, give a little bit of background then of where you are. You're in Essex at the moment. Is that where you're based? Yes, yes it is. And you run three companies. You have Hamilton Stud. What do you do with Hamilton Stud? Hamilton Stud is a part of Rocky Mountain Horse UK, where I breed Rocky Mountain horses in the UK and apply them to popular equine sports, which is show jumping, dressage, polo, um, FEI-based, you know, sports really common, not common, but, you know, (laughs) popular. popular. Professional disciplines. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the Rocky Mountain horse, I I haven't heard of in the UK. I didn't even know you could get them. When I when I started looking for my horse originally, I knew that I wanted a Frisian. I wanted a Frisian yeah. that I had to, I thought, import from Holland because there weren't many breeders over here. As it turns out, there are some breeders. Um, but Rocky horse, Rocky Mountain horse wasn't one that I'd ever even considered getting because I just thought it was an, an American thing. So how did you end up bringing the 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 what I would call an American horse over to the UK to breed? Um, well, I was looking online at different horses, different horse breeds, and a friend of mine, she became disabled, and she really, really loved to ride. Um, it was a great passion of hers, and she had an unfortunate accident, which meant that she had to have an artificial leg put in. So, you know, riding, you had to spend had to spend quite a bit of money on buying like a rider's leg mm. for horse riding. So I thought, oh, you know, people say that there's horses like the RDA and special kind of horses that you can, you know, purchase that you don't have to post to like in trot because she thought that she wouldn't be able to do the rising trot or anything like that. So um, I was looking down the internet and then I see this sort of like black horse with a white mane and tail. And I thought, what is that? That ain't real. That can't be real. So then I looked further into it and it turned out to be this Rocky Mountain horse. And I couldn't see any in the UK. 
And I thought, you know, how great, because they have this smooth gate that you don't have to post to. It's like a four-beat gate, and it's just really, really smooth, and you can keep up with other riders on sort of like normal horses, which do walk, trot, and canter. Mm. Um, but you can keep up to canter speeds, and you're just sitting there, and you're not really moving at all. So I thought, wow, I've got to go and, you know, meet these horses. So... There I went, off to America, <laughs> just to go and meet these horses. You don't do things by half, do you? Oh, no. Well, I just thought they was amazing. And everything I read up on them, you know, I thought, wow, this can't be real. This really can't. So I went to America, had a look at the horses. I actually ended up competing out there um, on the Rocky Mountain horses. Did and you? I, what did you yeah, compete in? I, I was the gating shows. It's... It's absolutely massive out there. And so then I went to the Kentucky Horse Park a couple of times, like the gating competition. And I was sort of, I just got right into it. And that was it. I just fell in love. And I thought, I've got to buy some. (laughs) That was it. And I thought, right, okay, well, we'll bring a breed herd back. There's no point, you know, just bringing the one back. So, uh, you know, and I bought them back. And I thought, you know, they're... They're brilliant for the elderly riders, disabled riders, you know, people that don't want to do the posting. Yeah. Um, Have you had any experience breeding before? No, I hadn't. I hadn't <laughs> sort of done breeding whatsoever. I, I just jumped in at the deep end and I was, and I was just like, right, well, here we go. <laughs> Good for you. So you must have had to do a lot of research then. Yeah, well, breeding was new and I didn't realise how how much you need to know about breeding it is absolutely you know it's specialist stuff actually breeding because it was it was just like this whole world of equine area that I, I had no idea about breeding whatsoever but um i'd already done training i've been training horses with behavioral problems for years before then but you know when you go down to the breeding side it wow you have to match mares to stallions and go through a whole heap of stuff to to do it properly and professionally. Mm. So it's not like you had no experience with horses at all then. you, you Like you said, you've been training them for years. So you knew what yeah. you were looking for in the ideal horse. Because that's always important, I think. When we've, we're even looking to buy a horse, sometimes we don't actually know what the ideal is. We might know what we want it to look like, but we don't necessarily think in depth about... What is it that we want to do with it? Do we want to do cross country? Do we want to show jump? Do we want to dressage? Or do we just want to hack? So you yeah. already knew what would be important for you to have in a horse that you'd want to breed. So I guess you're probably 55% there already. When it comes to breeding Rocky Mountain horses, there is a hell of a lot to consider because some are more gated than others. Some do what's called a walk, trot, amble, canter, gallop. And this ambling gait is a four-beat gait. So that's additional to the normal horses that we have, what I call them normal, which is walk, trot, canter, gallop. Hmm. So this additional gait is four beats. So it's just like a walk, but it goes a lot faster. Um, And then there's some Rocky Mountain horses that do the walk, amble, trot, pace, step in pace, canter, gallop. And, and And so when you go down the whole feeding line, you have to decide really what 
what it is you want the horse to do because the more gated Rocky Mountain horse, which is just the, the walk, amble, what canter gallop, <laughs> is, you know, you can't get a brilliant canter. You can't really get a nice collected canter out of, out of that, you know, type of Rocky Mountain horse. And they tend to be more cobby looking. Oh, yes. Um, and then you get like the, I call them five gated rockets, which have the additional gate to the normal Rocky Mountain. It's really confusing. It's really it hard is. to explain. It's all down to a mutation of a locomotion gene that plays a big part with horses. So this locomotion gene that is on all mammals is called a DMRT3 gene. And it's, there's a mutation in it which causes these intermediate gates, um, mm. like the four-beat gate. It's required for certain horse disciplines, like harness racing, they want that mutation. But this mutation, when it's happened to, you know, to just normal domestic horses, it's rather fascinating. It's really, it's in-depth stuff. <laughs> well, what happens if, it, if, if a normal horse, has, say my horse, if he had the mutation, what would make it different for him? He would do that, that intermediate gait, that four-beat walk. So it's not like we can train these horses then to do the, no, the four-beat gait. It's it, either bred in them or it's not. Yeah, yeah, to have a successful four-beat gait because a normal horse would do the walk to a certain speed and then it'll break gait to a trot. Mm. Whereas these do the walk and then they'll do the ambling gait to the speed of a trot. Or much faster if you do specific competitions where you want to do, say, speed racking or something and you want to go faster. You, you train specifically for that to get that four-beat walk even faster. But, wow. um, well, mine would be perfect at that because we've got yeah. we've got a walk, trot, fast trot, really, really, really fast trot, really, really fast trot, and then a fall into a canter yeah. if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. it's really it's fascinating. I I had no idea that there was so much that went into the Rocky Mountain horse, and and well, I didn't even know that there were gate comp- you know different gate competitions that you can actually. Yeah, that, I mean harness racing. Apparently, they can do like a test now where they test for the mutation in the DMRT3. So they don't spend time trying to train a horse that they've bred and it's always going to break gait. They want to, you know, train and spend the money on one that they know has the mutation so it's not going to break gait. See, the mutation word just makes it sound like there's something wrong with them, though. I know. The poor things. <laughs> and they're, well, they're when not. You see them move, you think. They're walking really weird, but it's because they they move each leg individually and they conserve energy compared to a normal trotting horse because where a normal horse is ridden um, and it strides out, doesn't it? It uses all of that energy to cover ground by by striding out. Mm. But the Rocky Mountain horse, they actually end up conserving energy because they just move their legs up and down with minimal knee and hock action. So they're moving them up and down instead of using all that effort to sort of like stride out. The only image that I've got in my head, Cassie, is <laughs> did you see that video that went round? I think it went round the internet quite a while ago of the little tiny foal that's just trying to trot and just walking really, really, really quickly. It's taking loads and loads of little I tiny see steps. That. Did yes, you see? I that's see that. the picture that I have in my head now that I'm thinking of the Rocky Mountain horse. Well, Am I completely similar. off? Is it? <laughs> So they just take really, really fast little steps. 
Yeah, I mean, when you have a look on the internet, you'll be able to see, and their legs look like they're going like in this weird sort of lame-looking way. And I do get a lot of people say, uh, <laughs> your horse is lame. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's the way it walks. And they're like, no, no, your horse is lame. And I'm, no, seriously, it's not. <laughs> but it's not common to see in the UK. Mm. Um but, you know, the back in when the Rocky Mountain horses, they sort of like originated from the Appalachian Mountains of eastern Kentucky. Mm. Um, and that was in around about the 1800s. And they're a mixture of English and Spanish breeds. So, you know, it, they're, they're a bit of a mix up, really. <laughs> so and the main source of transportation um, back in the 1800s was horses. Now, with the Rocky Mountain horses, they were really, really cheap to keep because they were easy keepers, some would say. They wasn't, they didn't have to have specific seeds and things like that. They were just literally given, you know, a bit of hay or bark off of trees and things like that. But the, the, the outstanding thing and the best thing about them at the time was that they possessed this smooth, rideable gait. And they could be ridden for hours. And like I said, you know, with the conserving energy, they could go, you know, a lot longer than the typical thoroughbreds and things like that. They could, they could just, where they conserve that energy, mm. um, they would just happily sort of like go along in their, their little walk, um, without any stress and the, the rider wouldn't be stressed and hot, you know, from posting and things like that. And that's where the whole gate thing comes in. Um, with the, you know, not overstriding or anything like that. So would they be used then in, say, endurance riding? Yes, definitely. They are used quite a lot in endurance riding. And there is a lady, I believe, in Egypt, and she competes in endurance out there on a Rocky Mountain horse. Hmm. But one of the, the things that endurance people like about them is because they have like a slow twitch muscle in their heart. So it, it, it's like a... The recovery rate is a lot quicker than normal horses as well. So that's where there's people are like, oh, you know, I need one for endurance. But they're used for for a lot of things. So what um, else are they? Because I'm I'm gonna be honest, you're not selling it to me right now. <laughs> I'm thinking I've got a horse that looks lame, <laughs> has a very weird, funny trot that's like a walk that's a trot, and has a twitchy heart. But I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing there's some great great qualities about the Rocky Mountain horse because otherwise you wouldn't have thought about breeding. So. It'd be great for endurance, maybe not so much dressage. Uh, no, they're used for dressage as well and Western dressage. Um, mm. They've been used for uh, barrel racing, pole bending, driving. They're used for driving. Um, I've tried one out with polo and jumping. I have a stallion with me and his name is Ultimatum. And the Rocky Mountain Horse Association were really outstanding by seeing how high he could actually jump because he was jumping higher than they'd ever seen before. And they were like, oh, my God, you know, can can you put this horse into competitions? And I was like, yeah, 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 I can show that he can jump. And they're like, what, really? Like, properly jumping? <laughs> and so we got him jumping 170 centimetres and oh, recorded wow. it. And they was like, no way. <laughs> but, you know, their, their conformation is similar. They're, they're built to normal sport horses like American 
warm bloods and European warm bloods. You know, they are sporty in the way that they look. Mm. And they're quite hardy as well, aren't they? Yeah, they're really, really hardy. But the the confirmation of them, they are around... They're 14.2 hands to 16 hands. So there's there's a good height range there. I mean, I quite like 15.3 and... You know, people. Some people like a lot bigger horses. Some people mm. like smaller horses. But it's a, it's a kind of medium height that you know, good for all levels. But they have you know, medium sized bone. American Warmbloods. They have the, the sloping shoulder and uh, like a powerful, well muscled hindquarters. Um, and these are exactly the same. So I like looking like sporty looking horses. Yeah. Um, and they just suited me down to the ground because although they have that funny little leg thing going on <laughs> they move just the same as normal horses as well but they have that additional gait mm. so you know they're perfect for everything really but one of the biggest things that people like as well is the colors that they come in the whole range of colors well they're really unique aren't they because they're, they're like you said yeah. earlier, the ones that they can have a they can be black and have a white mane they can be white and have a black mane they yeah. can have a golden mane but again you know that that popular color that they have is called a silver dapple gene and you know it, it's again that's a dilution gene on black horses so Really, the chocolate-coloured horses that you see are black Rocky Mountain horses that have uh, a dilution gene called a silver dapple gene, and it mm-hmm. changes the pigmentation of the black horse to chocolate with a flaxen man and tail. So they're full of mutations and dilutions. <laughs> it's, it's really clever, isn't it? Do you, is it almost yeah. like, could you say, could we go to you and say, right, okay, my little girl has a dream of having a black horse with a white mane, for example, um, or, a yeah. white, or a white horse with a black mane. Could you breed that? You can breed for colour, yes. Yeah, I can. Wow. You can, it's, it's, again, you have to go into colour genetics and down that route. So when I said earlier about the whole going into the, the breeding side of horses, I think I probably chose the most difficult because, <laughs> you know, I had to learn about all of these gates. I had to learn about all of the, the colour um, genetics and, oh, it was just massive field of things I needed to know. So I spent a lot of time researching and spending a lot of time sort of like living on ranches in Kentucky um, learning more about Rocky Mountain horses and things like that. You know, I've, I've tried to learn as much as I can. Well, they're such beautiful. And I'm still learning. <laughs> oh, we're all learning. <laughs> yeah, we've got loads to learn. It's a never, I'm like a never ending sponge. <laughs> um, but oh. these horses are so, so beautiful. Like really, the look of them, they just look so beautiful just the the epitome of horse what i would consider you know that is absolutely stunning very majestic and magical they look definitely yeah almost like you want to stick a horn on it and say it's a unicorn that kind of yes (laughs) (laughs) that kind of you know being a little girl in a dreamland yeah but the temperament is absolutely amazing with them as well you know they have a beautiful disposition is it because sometimes when you say you know things are so tightly bred uh, whether it's any animal it could be a dog you know if, if dogs are really tightly bred then they become highly strong but I'm just thinking they're not highly strung at all, your horses. No, I mean, like I said, there seems to be two types of Rocky Mountain horses. I find that the more sportier type 
that have all of these additional gates. Uh, they're more sporty looking and they have, they're more hot headed mm. than calm and relaxed. But if you go for sort of like a Rocky Mountain horse that, um, you know, has the, the really thick in their ambling gait and more of a stockier kind of look to them, they're the ones that sort of, They'll go along and they'll be like, oh, yes, okay, I'm going up here, I'm going down there. And they are absolutely perfect. They're perfect for elderly, they're perfect for children, you know, and they really, they are perfect, beautiful temperament horses. But it's the, you can get highly strong ones that, again, it's a specific breed line. So if you're going to go and purchase a Rocky Mountain horse, you really need to have a look deeply at the breed lines and go to somebody that has bred them, that knows what they're talking about because I don't want the hot-headed Rocky Mountain horses to kind of give the, the more quiet Rocky Mountain horse a bad name. Mm. You, so if you want to do sort of like show jumping and, you know, things that require stamina and hot-headedness and things like that, you know, the breed is absolutely perfect, but go for the right breed line. Um, a couple of people have said to me, oh, I bought this Rocky Mountain horse, and it's a certified Rocky Mountain horse, but as soon as you sit in the saddle, it's off. And uh, I said, well, what breed line did you go down? And then they're like, well, what do you mean, what breed line? And I'm like, oh, you know, but I mean... They didn't do their history, did they? No, no. And, you know, some Rocky Mountain breeders don't see it themselves, but... The amount of research that I've done and the amount of experience that I've had, you know, I've seen the two types and I call them rail rockies and trail rockies. And I say the rail rockies, which are used for the showiness of them with their high tail carriage and like beautiful, beautiful looks and lots of presence and speed about them, they, they're the rail rockies. And then the more cobby are stick in their gait, trail rockies and 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 that's what i call them myself rail rockies and trail rockies yeah, um, like and there is i do think that there is somebody um in america that does rail to trail so it must be recognized a bit like the they in this country they do the race horses don't they the x-ray mm. horses and i think that's the same as the rocky mountain horse Thing they do in America I'm, I'm sure it's rail to trail so yeah, I mean well that's really important to look at is, is knowing and understanding the difference then that you know you do get a hot-headed yeah. version of the of the breed but then you can have you a do, really yeah. relaxed chilled out version would you say they're yeah. a suitable if, if okay so let's look at the trail ponies yeah would you say they're a good say first pony for somebody or maybe a second Definitely. second or third no, first pony, they are absolutely, you know, I can't, I can't really explain enough that <laughs> they are perfect first horses. They are perfect for riding for the disabled. They, the trainability, um, the, the actual affinity that they have for like human companionship. They, yeah. they, they are absolutely beautiful. And so are the rail rockies, but they just have more speed and presence about them mm. and I really do try I mean I've had people from the association say don't give Rocky Mountains a bad name but there are definitely two types of Rocky Mountain horses 
100%. And these two types do have differences where some have the additional gates on top of the ambling gate. So yeah. I'd it's say fine, I think. Rocky. I think it's fine to know yeah. as long as you know what you're going into with your eyes open. So yeah. you can, you're yeah. completely right. In it. And I think you, it's admirable of you to explain so openly the difference between the two so that you're not giving Rocky Mountain Horses a bad name. So you can say, right, OK, what no. discipline do you want to do? If you're a show jumper, then you need one that's got well, a little I bit more. Well, I have two types. So <laughs> yeah. I have trail Rocky, which mm. are brilliant, you know, but don't try and get a trail Rocky to do show jumping because, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but if you get a rail rookie that does the walk, amble, trot, stepping pace, pace, you know, they are perfect for show jumping because they have that. If you ask them to do something, you know, you're, you're heading towards a, a high jump and you're like, come on, we're going to do this. We're going to get over this. They're like, yeah, actually we are. Mm. And I also found that um, I see somebody jump in one of my horses and the person wasn't very experienced. And they was on a mare of mine and they're, they're cantering around and they've gone up to a jump, but they actually went too close to the jump. Mm. And the horse could have quite easily have just gone straight through and knocked the poles off. But it actually, its gate fell into place and it, it jumped up like a cat and it completely left the poles on the jumps, um, but it saved itself. And I think it was the use of the, where they used their legs individually, they was able to sort themselves out, um, even though the rider was, you know, incapable of, of doing the right striding. The, the horse managed to sort itself out and, and get over. And I was like, wow, you know, but there's not a lot of people that have tried show jumping with their Rocky Mountain horses. And I'm the only one in the UK that's done it with their horses. (laughs) You're the only one that's certified to to breed in the UK, aren't you? Well, I've got the certified breeding stallions and mares. How long have you been breeding for? Uh, Rocky Mountain horses four years. And, And it's going well. They're becoming more popular now in the UK, are they? They are, yes, yes. Every year that I've bred, I have sold the the offspring. They've all gone quite quickly. Um, I've got three colts now. What sort of price then would we be looking at to buy one? So they're around about four to five thousand pounds each, and then anything over four years. You're looking at around about £9,000 plus. Because I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine that it would be easy for you to be able to sell horses like that that are unknown. So, you know, the standards, the thoroughbreds that we've got. Well, they are. They go. They go really quick. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's a style Uh, thing? That's why I had to import some more because, you know, they. I have people, especially in Cornwall, that are like, wow, you know, we, we want a Rocky Mountain horse. Because mm. I remember when I was looking for my horse, like I said, I knew what I wanted, but I did a lot of research on the breed beforehand. So I wanted to mm-hmm. know exactly as much as I could about what I was going to be letting myself in for. But it was okay to go and see other horses like that you know, that I could try and I could ride to make sure I like mm-hmm. the feel of them and the look of them and the temperament. But with not having that many Rocky Mountain horses here and not having much of a history in the UK with them, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just surprised that it's not you more difficult. You'd expect it to be. Yes, yes, yeah. But it's, um, as soon as 
you come into contact. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. People rocking out I'm not saying that, you know, you form instantly in love and, you know, but people become attached to them because they are so, they they want to be with you. Mm. If, like with, with my cults when they're in the field, if you go into the field and, you know, they don't have much human interaction, they they want to come and investigate. They want to they know who you are, what you are, you know. <laughs> They're just, and, and they're all like it, you know, Rocky Mountain horses, they they do have this attraction with them. You look at their looks and you think, oh, they look beautiful. And then the fact that they want to be all over you as well, it, it really does get quite addictive. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, with the horses being all over you and things, because of, you know, training that I do as well, I do not encourage horses to be all over somebody you have to have that the discipline in the fact that that's your space and they're not center uh but that's a whole other story of, of training that, that's but, your penning um, that you do isn't it that you're is, is it a form of natural horsemanship i just call it round penning it's sort of yeah natural horsemanship but there is um a big stigma with natural horsemanship isn't there you know people as soon as you say oh i do natural horsemanship they think Oh, yeah, well, she has a carrot and she begs her horse. I do a lot of demonstrations and I do get people online say, oh, you know, natural horsemanship, it's, you know, a load of rubbish and things like that. And round penning, you know, is really abusive. And and I, I do tend to hear a lot of that in the UK. And I think it's because round penning isn't very big in the UK. I don't see a lot of people round penning at all. And a lot of people ask me what round penning is. So then I explain to them about natural horsemanship. But as soon as you say natural horsemanship, that is the first thing that they tend to think. They tend to think, you know, she begs her horse to do something. And I never, I do not. I do not, you know, have that opinion. I do not say that that is what natural horsemanship is, mm. uh, because I don't, I don't use treats 
I don't use anything like that when I'm sort of, you know, working with horses. I use my round penning and establish leadership that way. But, you know, I just, I do find that people, as soon as they hear natural horsemanship, they sort of turn off until they see my round penning demonstrations and they're like, well, actually, that makes sense. Mm. And then, I mean, I take on a lot of behavioural problem horses or people that, you know, might be having issues somewhere in managing their horses. Um, and they tend to come to me to, you know, to get the, the communication going between them and their horse and develop their relationship. So what's the difference then, Cassie? Because we've got Monty Roberts, we have Pirelli, we have Liberty. What's the difference between your round penning and, and those different types? of? Because to me, they, they're very, very similar. There's just a few very slight things that are different about them. I but they have the same similar whatever concept. Whatever works for one person might not work for another. Mm. And you have to go with what works for you. And I find that, with the round penning, that works for me, and it's great to show people, you know, how to have the base, you know, like you go into the round pen and you establish yourself as the leader. And I find with any foundation training on preparing horses, and it's imperative that you do establish yourself as a leader, and a round pen is an amazing training tool to actually do that, you know. So how, how would you establish yourself as a leader? Well... When you first go into, for instance, I'll start from the beginning. So when somebody brings a horse to me, hmm. first thing I do is I put the horse into the round pen. I ask them what issues they're having. And then I watch the horse going around and I assess whether the horse is respectful, disrespectful, and, and just get a feel for the horse. And then I'll go in and I'll see how the horse is to me, how he sees me. Because you get some people that have horses that have developed problems because of the fact that they have babied the horse or the mm. horse has got over-familiar with, with the human, you know. So I'll yes. go in there. And if the horse is still going around, nickering, making noises and completely ignoring me, then I think, right, well, here we go. And, and that's where the lessons start. And then we're just... I'll, I'll just develop on from there. The first thing I do after I get the horse moving round is I start to do outside turns. And doing outside turns is telling the horse, you know, this is my space and you're going to move out of my space. A bit like in like a natural herd, you'll have the mare, she'll walk into a lower ranking horse's space and if that horse doesn't move, then you'll get like an ear pin or a bite or a strike, something like that. Mm. So, and if that horse doesn't move, then, you know, it becomes physical between the two horses. And, and you basically do that in the round pen. If the horse doesn't move off, then I'll do like a clicking sound and I'll go and ask the horse to move on. And if he still doesn't, then I'll, I'll have like a lunge whip and I'll make a crack with the lunge whip and insist that he goes forward. And they go forward because they're like, oh, what's that? And and they go, you know. Mm. So when they're going around, then I'll just take the, the conversation a little bit further, keep doing outside turns. And then when I feel the time is right, and it could be a couple of days later, depending on how 
the horse behaves in the round pen because they don't all act the same. They're not, they can't all be treated the same. So it could take a couple of days until you decide to start doing the inside turns. And when you're doing the inside turns, you're saying, you know, it's okay to come into my space, which is brilliant for horses that are very anxious, nervous, you know, and have, have problems there. But you, you're saying, you know, you can come into my space. But then when I walk back into the horse, he should have the respect to leave my space. And if he doesn't, then we need to go back to doing outside turns to teach him to leave my space. And this is great for the foundation of any kind of, you know, before you go into anything discipline wise, Mm. you, you just, you do this foundation level and it all goes on from there, (laughs) you know, and I, I find it a brilliant way to communicate with your horse because Body language is the horse's language, so I think, anyway. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, (laughs) and so if you can get yourself on that level where the horse understands you and you understand the horse, then sky's the limit. You, You get that conversation going and it develops from there, you know. A lot of people, um, when I say that they baby horses, they, they treat them like, like a baby. And I did have one lady, she had a horse and she said to me, I can't put it out in the field because it keeps getting attacked and bullied. And I was like, oh. right, okay. And she said, it's terrible. This other horse is really nasty. A long story short, we went and had a look at these horses. It was at a livery yard. So all the horses go in one big field. And we was watching and her horse was standing in the dominant horse's space. Mm. And so when, when the lead horse was like, move out of my way, it wasn't. And it just oh. totally did not understand what the whole herd behavior and, and rules were, you know, and, and that was what was happening. Did you then have to teach that horse the herd behavior? I put the horse in the round pen and then developed the relationship there. Uh, got the horse moving out of spaces and things like that. And then the lady, I had to teach the lady how to communicate with her horse and all about all about having a conversation with your horse, which sounds absolutely insane to people. But, you know, when you're in a round pen, the whole time that you're with a horse, whether it's in a round pen or outside a round pen, you are having a conversation, you know, and, mm. and people should be aware of that when they are in the presence of a horse. That yeah, you see, this you freaks me out. Having... This freaks me out, <laughs> Cassie, because I, I'm totally with you in that whole conversation thing. And I think yeah. half the time, I'm, I have no idea what I'm telling my horse to do, but I know it's not the right thing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I stood there like, oh, if only I had like a Cassie in my ear right now that could tell me what I'm saying, because I know I'm saying something. And, and my horse is amazing. He's so good at, at responding. I mean, actually, to be fair, he ignores me half the time, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. But he's, he's, we've got a really good trusting relationship. When I say he ignores me, I mean, I'm a bit of a nervy rider and he just ignores that. So for me, he's perfect. Yeah. Um, and I've done some... <laughs> he's ra- confident. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I've done some, a little bit too confident at times which is also fascinating so what you're saying about the treats he herded me the other day in the field for the first time and I was so shocked by it because (gasps) I have little I don't give him many treats he always has to do something to get a carrot so he doesn't just get a carrot he has to do 
some form of work so it could be uh, in handwork and I'm asking him to move sideways and the other way until he does it consistently wherever I put my hand on his body yeah yeah and then at the end of the session he will then have a carrot a very little carrot anyway <laughs> but I, you still give a carrot you still give him a treat yes I do yeah but after yeah. work um and okay. not and not every day so I make sure it's not every day. Anyway, <laughs> I did, I have to admit, one week I gave him a couple of extra carrots. And because he'd been very, very good that day. And I know you hear this all the time. But um, the little bucker decided to canter down the field and heard me. And I mean, he circled me. And I've never, no. and he's a big, yeah, he's a big 16-hand horse. Big black, you know, when he grows, he holds his head really high. And I was so shocked yeah. by that. I thought, no, 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 this is not happening. So, so did you feel a little bit inferior there? Was you sort of like, oh, no, you know, was you a little bit fearful? For a second, for a second, yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. What are, you, what are you doing? You've never, he's never come in my space. He's always been taught to stay out of my space. This is my space and I have a little circle around me. And he, yeah. if I stop, he stops. If I move backwards... He moves backwards. I just need to move my hand by his chest. Um, he's so yeah. good with that and he'll move backwards. He's never, ever got in my space before. So there were two things. Fresh spring grass is what I could put it down to. Or he, right. he's just come back into work after two years off. Um, and when I say just come back, we've been riding now for a year and he is only just getting into getting confidence back and he's just trying it on mm -hmm. so I thought right you're trying it on so when I say I chased him I mean I chased him round that field <laughs> but not in an aggressive way it was a sending him away as in hang on a minute I am this I am the leader of this herd and you are not and it to... would be such a smaller controlled area in a round pen I know if I was allowed to put up a round <laughs> pen honestly if I was allowed to I would oh. but Basically, I sent him away and five minutes later, he turned around, came back over and just stood next to me. And I thought, wow, my God, okay. Did that work? Yeah, you sent, you sent him away. Um, I mean, but did he come back with his head lower? Did yes. he have a lower? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. yeah. There was no aggression. Yeah. He was very relaxed. Now, I have done round penning before, years ago. And I just think that is ingrained in him. I'm very lucky that I've got that relationship. But it's interesting yeah. that even the testing, you know, when they're testing and the carrots, if you do give them carrots too much, that's the point I was getting to, sorry. Giving carrots too much and spoiling them, they'll start biting and they'll start nipping. And it's just a, oh, you Well, I mean, so that's what I never, I never ever give hand treats or... I, I, I suppose I must sound a bit cruel when I say I don't give them treats because... Uh, the relationship that we have um, is like uh, it's like rewarding anyway. Like when they come over with their heads lowered and you know they want to be close to you, you know that I think is rewarding and enough. And I know that sounds wrong to a lot of people, but you know I, I just I just don't do treats. But I don't think anything's uh, ever wrong um, as long as you're no. not abusing your horse, and that's wrong. Well, I mean it works. For me you know yeah. not giving treats or anything because when I've had horses in for training because they nip and they're food aggressive and things I'm like well do you do you hand feed them and do you let them eat out of the bowl when you're holding it or when you're putting the hay net up are they all over the hay net and you know sometimes down to human error 
the horse will pin its ears and the person might stand back from the hay net and go, oh, there you go. Then the horse has learned, you know, well, if I pin my ears, which is aggression, you're going to move away. And then that developed into food aggressive horses, you know. And, and I just, when I put hay in my stable, my horses step back, I put the hay up and then the head's lowered and they, they go to their hay net, you know. And, and, but that works for us. And I know that if I was to send someone in to feed my horses, my horses are respectful enough not to be all over that person, mm. you know. So it just eliminates any any potential hazardous thing that could happen. Yeah, um, I think it's, but, it's, it's all know, in small doses because, I, I, you know, I have to say Blackjack's very good when he was in a stable. He would stand back. That was the one of the first things that I was told to teach him mm. is that he doesn't come for the food until you're ready for him to go to have it, until you've put it down and, and almost like say, go mm. on then, a bit like a dog. And, and every time I'd go yeah. to the stable, he'd take a step back. I would put the food down. I'd give him a stroke and then and then he'd go and eat it. And, and that worked quite well. He'd still get a treat every now and again, but I'm not saying yeah. that we should never, ever, ever, ever. I, you know, I'm not saying that any way is right. It's whatever works well for you. But I do totally, a hundred percent, agree with you that that there are a few of us that do spoil our horses too much, and it does make nippy, bitey, pushy, bargy horses, mm. and we don't realise what we're doing because it happens. It doesn't even take that long for it to happen. But I've seen horses that no. bite, you know, because they think that they're going to get something from you, and if you don't don't give them something then they go for you yeah and and a lot of problems develop that way but um there is sort of that something with regards to round penning that you know I, I try and talk about a lot even at the demos is that just because a round pen is put up doesn't mean that it's a great thing to use if you don't know what you're doing it's a very specialist thing and you know sometimes when people say that the round pen is extremely, you know, harmful and abusive. It can be, you know, round penning, you have to be a specialist to actually do the round penning. And I do agree that when misused, uh, round pens can be extremely harmful mentally and physically. And I try and make that aware to people and known because it's the same as other training aids, for example, uh, lunging round penning is always always compared to lunging they say you know you should lunge your horse you shouldn't round pen or you should round pen your horse and you shouldn't lunge your horse you know and I find that with youngsters if if you have like a young horse on the end of a lunge line and you pull that horse in quick you are going to pull a muscle somewhere or, or something like that and a lot of communication gets mixed up with the horse and the handler but lunging is a fantastic tool as well that could always be used as harmful, you know, and the horse mm. would find it harmful as well. But with the round penning, before I start any horse, I always use the foundation of working with a horse. I, I use a round pen because horses are usually right hoofed or left hoofed. No. And putting them in a round pen, horses are not naturally upright balanced, ready to take a rider. So when you put a horse, a young horse in a round pen and you start round penning, not too much because they're young, but when you start round penning, they actually, you're actually teaching them to, to gain that balance, to come up ready so that they're ready to take 
a rider eventually mm. because you may find that when you you sort of like get on the horse that's never been ridden before it's a bit wobbly or it's a bit unbalanced so a lot of people do a lot of circle work a lot of lunging a lot of circle work for young horses so i use a round pin mm. and it teaches the horse to actually get his balance naturally ready to take a rider eventually and i prefer that to you know lunging because a horse leans on the lunge line and I find it works really really well so you know people they tend to sort of like say oh you shouldn't use a round pen to teach young horses how to go around you should use the lunge line because you could pull them in on their head why would you want to pull a horse about anyway I know but when you see people that are not proper trainers and, and haven't broken horses before or anything like that or haven't lunged before mm. horses tend to lean on the lunge line and I've seen people before sort of like pull the horse in and they think oh you know I've seen on sort of like um, question and answer pages oh my horse keeps leaning on the lunge line and and things like that and he keeps pulling out and usually it's because the horse is trying to balance itself it's not because it, it doesn't want to work or do, do, do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally know yeah? what you mean. Yeah. Because a lot of people, they say that. They say, you know, oh, the horse is leaning on the lunge line. And when I've gone out before and I've seen horses leaning on the lunge line, the horse isn't balanced. And I'm like, well, you know, the horse isn't balanced. That's the only problem. It's not the lunge line. It's not the, you know, it's, it's not the horse being naughty. The horse isn't balanced very well, you know. And, and like in a round pen, they can actually do the balance themselves. They can actually get it up in a natural way and balance themselves, ready to take a, a rider eventually. And that way you can watch from a distance the muscle development of the horse as mm. you're, as it's going around. You know, you can, you can see everything from a distance. And in the end, you can prepare the horse for the rider without the interference of a rider. So you can prepare the horse before you actually put the rider on. That's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I totally, yeah, no, no, I totally agree with you. <laughs> My goodness, Cassie, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> oh, don't. I could go on for hours. But when round penning, you have to consider also the age and the fitness of the horse because you don't want it to become torturous. Mm. And also you have to remember to call the horses down as well. And there's there's so much that, to talk about. It's, it's really, really, it could just go on and on <laughs> and on. Well, just before then, uh, how long should the sessions be then for round penning? Because we don't want to overwork our horse. Because I guess I'm kind of thinking it's a smaller circle, so their legs and muscles will be working harder. Um, it's a different environment, so their brains will probably be a little bit more engaged because it's slightly more enclosed. So, well, it's a controlled area. You, you're in a you're in an area, but you you have to think about the fact that some round pens are smaller than others. Mm. So you can you can with the panels of the round pen, you can actually make it smaller to work, you know, in a tighter area, or you can make it bigger because you wouldn't want a tiny little pony going around in a 60-foot round pen when you could have sort of like a 40-foot a round pen for mm. a tiny little pony. How long do you think we should be looking at? Well, with horses, when they come into me, some horses that haven't been handled much because, you know, the, the owner has problems with them are usually quite unfit. So as long as you don't work them to exhaustion because... 
you don't want to use exhaustion or submission to gain respect or anything like that. Sometimes looking at the fitness of the horse, you may only get a 10-minute session. On a fitter horse, you might get a 40-minute session. But it's not continuously going around. You're stopping, you're starting, you're working on other things. Um, it literally, it isn't one specific thing and there isn't a specific time allowance because you can't do what some people I, I find do. They treat it very mechanically. They think, I'm going to put a horse in a round pin and I'm going to go around 10 times that way and I'm going to go around 10 times that way and it's done. I'm a round pinner and it isn't that, that, it isn't that at all, you know, because you're making the horse desensitized. There are there are key things that you have to look about because when when you are sending the horse round, it's you have to look at tiny tiny parts of like body language indicators, and it's it's imperative to pick up on the speed, the muscle tension, the head and tail carriage, eyes. You know, there's there's so much to look at when round penning. Like I said before, it's specialist. You know. You, the slightest little thing can can turn it torturous or, you know, could turn turn it wrong, you know, make make the horse sort of like not want to go in there again when mm. you should always leave on a happy note, whatever you do. Oh, that is lovely. I like that. <laughs> Perfect finish. Thank you. How can we follow you? If we want to know more about the Rocky Mountain horse and we want to find out about round penning and maybe we just want to go, hey, Cassie, I need some help. How can we contact you? Well, I have a lot of shows coming up this year. I have 17 shows coming up. So you can have a look on Facebook with Rocky Mountain Horse UK and Hamilton Stud Training. And also I have a website which is rockymountainhorseuk.com and also Hamilton Stud Finance. So that's another there's, there's two ways to contact me if, if anybody you know wants to ask any questions. What about Twitter? Are you on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter, no. Oh, you need to get on it. That's where all well, our amazing Horse Hour followers originated is on Twitter. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't spend much time on the computer and I don't spend much time watching telly or anything because <laughs> from the crack of dawn, I'm working horses until, you know, the sun goes down, I'm working horses. So I'm very sort of not computer literate, really. So whatever I do is on my iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you need any volunteers, I'm sure we've got loads of listeners that would love to come and help out. Oh, I need loads of volunteers, (laughs) especially at the shows that I'm doing. So if anybody wants to sort of like lend a hand and, you know, learn some basic round penning, they're, they're more than welcome. But the shows, people usually record and things like that. So... Oh, it looks like I'm taking idea. that information home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cassie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's okay. It was nice talking to you. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hey, did you watch badminton this weekend? It was amazing. It's the one event, my favourite event of the whole year. It's my guilty pleasure. I have to go. Um, You get everything there. It's basically Disneyland for equestrians. So you've got the shopping, every brand you could possibly think of. You get to watch the dressage on the Friday, cross country on the Saturday, and then show jumping on the Sunday. And every single year, the crowd is electric. It's brilliant to watch. And you get to see some really good young riders coming up as well. Like There was a, a girl 
called Libby Head from the USA. She's only 24. And she's lovely because her horse she rescued. And that horse she's had for eight years. She rode him in Kentucky last week and she rode him in badminton this week. I mean, for a 24-year-old, it's incredible, not only because of her age, but because she's trained that horse herself. So some of the journeys of, of the riders are really, really inspirational. You can see loads of photos. If you head to Twitter, um, then Events Through a Lens have taken some brilliant photos of the whole weekend. Uh, some of their shots of Paul Tapner and Mark Todd, Ben Hobday, he was there as well. If you get a chance, do watch the highlights. Head to badminton horse.co.uk now i was lucky enough to catch up with some of the riders and michael young came first he's german he did really really well he held the lead for a lot of the weekend and Gemma tattersall flew the flag for the british riders and she managed to hold on to third the whole way through the weekend on a score of 44.6 and she came third at the overall event it was brilliant and i was very very lucky to catch up with her just after her dressage on friday Gemma Tattersall, so it's so nice to meet you. How are you? I'm really well. I'm very happy. Oh, my God. I thought you had a little tear at the end. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I can't, I'm just so proud of him. He was awesome. He was amazing. Yeah, I mean, was it really was really good. It was just the most beautiful. To watch the partnership yeah. of you both yeah. together, it was just the little yeah. girl who dreams like me. <laughs> We're like, oh, we're in awe of you. Yeah, but... no, he's, uh, it's taken a long time to get his trust in that arena, but we're yeah. getting there. Well, a few of them have been spooking, yeah. but he seems to no, take it in his he stride. was really good. What it is with him is he's never spooky he's just um he's just nervous so he and he and it's all within himself he doesn't really show it on the outside but obviously when he's really nervous his movement isn't as good and he makes mistakes so um it was just getting him really confident and really believing in himself that he can do it in there just as well as he can do it out there um and that's all it is with him it's just confidence and how do you do that how do you get that confidence um, yeah well years of work <laughs> um and also ian woodhead has been helping me um over the winter and he's really helped me to get into the horse's brain and really understand him and get him to understand what he's got to do and what 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 is being asked of him that it's not a big deal and it's fine and it's okay to to go in there and do what he's been taught to do which is what he did today so we're so excited for you because we heard major major things about Rio (laughs) Di Lampard said that you're the one that's got the cool head so how do you keep cut because right now bless you you're shaking like a leaf Uh, no I'm okay I'm just I'm just really happy (laughs) Um, how do you keep calm yeah it's really hard to keep calm Um, I've been trying to keep calm all day and just keep myself busy I've been around the train stands seeing sponsors and I've just kept busy and then I went and had a bit of quiet time at my lorry and went through my test and cleaned my boots um, you know just sat and quietly and thought about what I had to do and then Ian was awesome in the warm up and he just kept talking to me and just kept saying right do this do this he's really bossy and he bosses me around which is what I need <laughs> brilliant <laughs> I need to be bossed around we, um, we need it taken off first don't yeah, know, the yeah, responsibility yeah. and the decision he literally just helped me through every single part of the warm up he was, he was oh, awesome so awesome. yeah and so preparations for tomorrow um, yeah, keep galloping. <laughs> uh, hold on. No, yeah, hold on, exactly. Uh, get ready for the ride of your life, I think, because Arctic Solar is extremely fast and he's very intense to ride, um, but, you know, he's, he's awesome as well. I've just got to get out there and put him in the right place at the right time and hope we get, hope we get round. Oh, well, good luck. I'm really thank wishing you, you on yeah, here. It's going to be much. amazing. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern, by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bollandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.